Telecast, the TV industry news review. Hi, I'm Justin Crosby, and welcome to another Telecast. On this week's show, I'm chatting with Alex Siegel, Managing Director at leading talent agency Into Talent, about the art of the deal and the life of the agent. Plus, we get to hear Alex's story of the week, his hero of the week, and who or what he wants to get in the bin. It's coming right up on this week's Telecast. My guest this week is Managing Director of Talent Agency into Talent, Alex Siegel. How are you doing? I'm good, Justin. How are you? Very well. Yeah, very well. Nice to speak to you, Alex. Like Heather's, one of our guests last week, we got to have a quick chat up in Edinburgh a few weeks ago. So thank you for agreeing to come on the show. And it's about time, I think, that we had another talent agent on the show. I mean, obviously, we, we spoke to Jordan last week about the Sidemen. So I'm really keen to have a chat with you about potentially the more traditional TV industry side of being a talent agent. Tell us about the agency, how the company's developed and, and what it is you do there. Obviously, you're managing director, but t- tell us about your roles and responsibilities. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I think if this goes well, then I'll take the credit. But if it doesn't go well, I'm going to blame Ian Lamara, who introduced us at Edinburgh and said to you that it would be a good idea to have me on the podcast. So if it doesn't go well, then... Uh, Call Ian, not me. That's uh, Yeah, well, that's how you call your agent. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so into talent, we're 31 years old, which is a crazy amount of time for an independent talent agency. And, you know, most businesses definitely don't run that long. So we feel very proud as to where we've got to and how we've got here. So, but I would say that we're kind of in a bit of a new chapter for into talent since probably COVID. I think we went into COVID as one company and we've come out as a completely different company. I've been here 10 years now. So this change is um, the most exciting thing to happen since we started. So we're in a really, really great position. I feel we're more ahead of the curve, whereas we're more competitive, we're more dynamic and interesting and all of those things than we have been for a long time. And we're seeing that in the results. Okay. How have you changed then? How have you changed coming out of COVID? You know, what fundamentally has changed? Because presumably you're obviously representing talent, all different sorts of talent, but what's changed? How did COVID change your business? It allowed us to pause and sort of reflect on what our focuses should be. I think the Intertalent before, which which had various names, at first it was Shalit Global and then Raw Global and then Inter- Intertalent in 2018, I think it was now. That company was a very well-respected big company still, but it focused on already established talent more than anything else. Um, not entirely, but on the whole, more established talent. And I think that the agents that were here were more suited to that. And what we've done coming out of COVID is sort of realign what kinds of talent we would like to represent. And, you know, my feeling being given the opportunity to to oversee that creatively as a managing director was that we need to be more expansive as to who we represent. And we need to be able to we love the versatility. So I want an eclectic list of talent that we have here. So that included a few things that included more development talent, a younger talent. And I'm very proud that we have some of the most exciting up and coming people in this industry. Uh, Stephen Bartlett, who everyone knows from Dragon's Den. We have Maisie Smith. We have Molly Rainford, who's now on Strictly, Chelsea Grimes, a variety of people that 
I would say five, six years ago, we probably wouldn't have been focusing on. And on top of that, we've expanded uh, our businesses, our remit. You know, we went into COVID very much focused on our unscripted side, which is our, you know, TV presenters and radio presenters, et cetera, and our big acting agency that we have. But we've come out now and we're we're very focused on digital and we have businesses in digital, esports, gaming and NFTs as well. So and, and our staff, you know, we've got a lot of young staff that have arrived within the last two to three years and they're all excited by what we're doing. So it's a big change. It feels like and and you know, I need to know that when other people outside of our company come to me and say, You guys look different. And I appreciate that. And and we won a an award earlier this year through Edinburgh TV Festival. That was an award for best agency for new talent, which for a talent agency at our age is unusual. So we're very proud of that. So presumably, as well, this is an assumption. COVID obviously sped up lots of change mm. and also gave real momentum to Black Lives Matter with all the, you know, the movement that developed from that. Do you see yourself as being a more diverse agency, as in representing more diverse talent now? And is that something that is more, presumably is more in demand from broadcasters and other clients as well? I think we've always been diverse in many ways, but we have really focused on it in the last few years. And I'm very proud when I look at our client list and we have a picture of every client on our wall. And I'm very proud to say that every person is completely different in every way from the next person. I'm very proud of that. You know, I I was at a Channel 4 inclusivity event last night. It was incredible. People want to see people like themselves on TV. And it's very important that we represent a wide range of different people. So I'm very proud that I feel that we're doing that, but obviously we can always do better. I think the one thing that we do need to work on, which has been more difficult for us, I would say, is the diversity in our staff. I think that we're trying to work with as many different charities and associations and the RTS and many other places uh, and Edinburgh and everyone that we love with to make sure that we're finding the best young agents out there and that they come from from as many different backgrounds as humanly possible. So I think um, diversity for us is both in our office and also the kind of talent that we represent. But it is important, but it's not, it's not important because there's more opportunities now, maybe in one way that there was before. For us, it's just about having the best talent. If we have the best talent, no matter where they are at their stage of their career, it is then our job to make sure they have those opportunities. And it's our job to be knocking down those doors and be knocking on the doors of commissioners and trying to make sure that everybody is getting a fair chance to get their talent out to a wider audience. That raises an interesting point as well when it comes to the role of an agent in my mind. So obviously, in my mind, the role of an agent is to represent talent, open up opportunities for your clients, obviously drive the best commercial deals possible for your clients as well. But when it comes to negotiating and identifying it, you know, opportunities for your talent and pitching your talent in, for you, is it broadcasters and specifically commissioners mm. who are in your crosshairs, if you like? Tell us about how you go about identifying opportunities for sure. the talent you represent. Well, first of all, I think it's really important that our clients feel safe in our hands. And there's many ways that we do that. But one of the ways is to know everybody and to have relationships with everybody. You know, you don't want an agent who doesn't know people because it is a relationships business. And I feel that the better I get to know somebody, the more chance I have of of success. So it's really important that we have 
consistent conversations with as many production companies as we can. And of course, they're growing all the time. So it's always hard to keep up, but we, you know, we try and cover as many as we can, both big and small. And commissioners, especially, it's really important that our clients know that we can talk to those people. And above that, you know, going to, to the Charlotte Moores and the Ian Katzes and the Kevin Ligos of this world. So I think that for us, you know, we can safely say to our clients, we know those people. And even if we don't get the answer that we want, we know we can have that conversation. That's the key thing. When it comes to television, we can't always give ourselves the job, but we can make sure we're in the room. And I think that's important. So for us, it's all about relationships. And for me, it's about making sure that we're having constant conversations. Realistically, production companies are key because they know how to pitch in. They know how to do their jobs better than we do. So in an ideal world, you know, the production company and ourselves are really working towards whatever project we're working towards. But it's also important that we know the channels and we know who's what. And, and, you know, knowledge is power. You know, I get all of my team to read broadcast every single day because it's important to know who's gone where and who's doing what. Because if your client knows that information better than you do, it's not going to go down well. So that's just one way. But ultimately, I I would say that the role of an agent has changed dramatically, even just since the rise of digital and YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, etc. I think maybe many years ago, an agent could just do a deal, make it happen, get somebody the best money possible, sign it and crack on. But I I think that now it's very much a 360 type of job you know i'm friends with my clients i'm their therapist i'm their mentor we strategize the strategy is obviously the key thing making sure that we agree that we're heading in the right direction making relationships you know the remit for an agent kind of goes on and on but ultimately we're protectors and creators of opportunity for our talent and we have to believe in them and believe in where we think they can go in the next three years five years and ten years which is how we always sort of set our strategies is to look at the micro and the macro and look at where this is all heading to. You talked about being an independent agency. What's the landscape like for the business landscape for agents in the UK then? Because presumably there are some big US, UK corporate that are major players as well. Just tell us how InterTalent fits in on that wider landscape and what it looks like. I'm very proud of us as an independent company. I think, you know, there's a there's a top level of entertainment talent agencies and we're up there and every other company that's up there does a great job but they all have very different ways of working and very different you know some of them aren't independent some of them are owned elsewhere or in collaborations elsewhere so you know I think the thing about being an agent is obviously we don't charge by the hour you know we don't that's not our how we work you know we only get paid when our clients get paid and you know 90% of things we deal with either don't see the light of day or they're external to to getting somebody a job you know it's helping with something or trying to solve a problem so I think for independent agencies you know it's a bit you eat what you kill at times you know we you know we don't have outside funding so it's important that we have the best staff possible it's important we have the best talent possible and it's important that we try to be ahead of our competitors where we can and you know, I'm proud that, you know, we've succeeded for so long and, and and continue to thrive. But in the independent world, you have to keep even closer attention to your P&L and make sure that you're spending in the right ways, that you're investing 
in your staff appropriately. You're investing in external things. We do a lot of events. We've just done a, a young person's event at, at Soho House called Into Talent Rising. We had a big 30th birthday party at BAFTA. We also did a networking breakfast and we also did a dinner up in Edinburgh. You know, these are big things that cost money, but we're, we're spending money in the right ways because there's been so many things that have come from every single event that we've done that we know is going to lead to some really big things. So for an independent company, it really fine tunes our focus. It fine tunes who we represent, why we do so. Do they all fit under our mission statement of our company, no matter what division they're in? I think, you know, some of our competitors that operate in a different way, they're equally as brilliant, but they don't have to maybe look so specifically about where things are going. And, and so they operate in a different way. But I'm very proud that, that we have the setup that we do because I think it allows us to be more nimble and it allows us to pivot quickly. I mean, I'm not lying when I say that we set up our NFT division in less than 24 hours. I know that my friends at other agencies couldn't do that. As soon as we had the, the idea and the ability to do it, we just did it. And so I think we're, we can be a bit quicker maybe than others, but others maybe can find the funding a lot quicker than we can. So I've worked at two other companies, agencies that aren't independent, but I really like the culture that this company has. Right. You mainly deal in the UK industry, is that right? Whereas some of the other agents may may say, okay, we've got offices in New York and LA and we can get you into Hollywood right from the UK through our system or whatever. Is, is, is that the difference that we should think about in terms of geographically where you're focused? Yes and no. I think we're focused everywhere. We travel everywhere. We don't have an office outside of the UK, but but I'm cool with that because, you know, we have great partners at CAA and WME and UTA and lots of management companies and they're on the ground there and they're some of the best. And so if we have talent who are appropriate to America or any other country for that matter, we'll go there. We'll make the introduction. We continue to have the relationships, but we're very happy to partner. I think one of the best things about being independent is we value our third party partnerships highly. So, you know, we work with a huge array of external partners, whether that's ad agencies or digital agencies or US agencies or publicists, whatever it might be. If we can find a partner externally who can help uplift our client in a way that we might not have in our building, then we shake hands and we do, we have that partnership. We have a lot of third party collaborators and that's quite exciting for us. It means that, you know, it's not just the 30 people that are in my office here. So going forward for the company, I would like us to expand officially into other territories. But for now, we're very happy to partner with other agencies and let them do what they do best wherever they are. Okay. Give us an idea of what your typical day looks like. For me personally, it's mixed because I'm the MD of of the whole group, but I'm also still a very active agent with with a lot of clients. So it's always going to be mixed between doing whatever I have to do as part of my MD responsibilities, all the all the fun spreadsheets and meetings that you do and all of those things. But I spend most of my day focusing on my talent, whether that's reactive stuff, whether that's that they've got a situation I have to deal with or as an urgent problem or we have to change things or whether that's just the flurry of things that just naturally come in in a day. And all agencies are the same. I mean, our inboxes are out of control. I mean, they are absolutely out of control. But what I try and make sure I have enough time in a day is the proactive stuff. That's the stuff that really excites us. You know, it's, it's, it's all well and good things coming in and great things do come in. But nothing is better, I feel, as an agent when you and your client together have come up with an idea, come up with, a, with an avenue that we feel that we can make it happen. 
and you go out and you start those conversations from us from within and so I do make sure that I spend as much of my time as possible doing that proactive outreach and making sure that if I haven't spoken to that commissioner in a while that I put in a meeting or if I pick up the phone to somebody I haven't spoken to you know just making sure that we're there so I love my days as an agent because there's no planning. What you think your day is going to be never ends up. I mean, even today already, and it's the morning, my day has totally shifted from what I was meant to be doing. And I quite love that. I love that I don't really know what's going to happen by the end of the day. It can be a bit scary. It's always a roller coaster. You know, when you have clients, one call is great news and the next call is not so good news. And as an agent, you have to stay grounded because if you celebrate the highs too high and if you wallow in the lows too low, your emotions as an agent are going to be all over the place. At the forefront of my mind as MD of this company is everybody's mental health and making sure everyone is is okay in their in their in their day. But no, for us day to day, you know, you have tabs open that you you know you have twenty things in your mind at one go. You've, you're, you're, the phones flying, the emails are flying, and it's just making sure that by the end of the day, you feel like you've outreached where you've needed to. You've got back to everyone that you need to get back to, and that all of your talent are feeling happy in in whatever's going on so Mm. i wish i could say it's a b and c but it it rarely is at the heart of what you do is being a deal maker what's the secret to striking a good deal for your clients then the secret to striking a good deal for us is making sure that everybody leaves the table happy do they though do they really i mean because at the end of the day you're at you know you're trying to drive the best deal for your clients whereas the broadcasters like you know or the or producer or you know together they're struggling with the budget for sure and you're like well i don't care i just want to drive the best deal so does everybody really always leave the table happy no listen the answer is no but i hope that the, i hope that the answer is yes more than it is no because i think we also have to work with these people so we also, also have to create a great show and i also want my clients to work with these people again I get very nervous you know if I have a new talent approach me and I look at their CV and and it's a long list of great jobs but I notice that they've only worked with somebody once I worry about that because I'm like why are they not where's the repeat business and for me it's more about the war not the battle you know you could win a battle but if you leave the other side feeling frustrated annoyed dejected then ultimately you have lost the war because they're not going to want to work with you again and so for us, we are protectors of our client. Yes, we want to ensure they get the best deal. And a part of that is ensuring that they get the best financial deal. Of course it is. There's other things as well. And there are times, and it happens every day, where you do have to push a bit harder because you truly believe that the equilibrium of the agreement isn't quite right. Where we try and avoid is over-negotiating where it's unnecessary and just doing it because you can then turn to your client and say, I got you this. I think What's important is to say, I got you the best deal. And the best deal is about the money, but it's also about making sure that they can turn up to work and everyone's smiling at them. So I think that we take that seriously. And, you know, it goes back to being independent. Yeah, but how do you know, though? How do you know how far to push the negotiation? As an agent, you have to have that self-awareness and or just the awareness in general, to be honest, to know when is right to to push and when there isn't and I think that you you learn that as you go you know there isn't a university for agents I mean I've yet to meet really an agent who said when they were 17 18 I'm going to be an agent everyone wants to do something different and have found their way into it but these are the kinds of things you learn on the job and you do make mistakes you know very early on and you make a lot of them you do over negotiate or you do push and you do 
make the wrong decision and, or take the wrong job. And, and you have to learn from that. And everyone continues to make mistakes and you have to learn from it. So I think it's about always asking, why are you doing it? Like, why do we genuinely feel we need this and why that? Justin, I'm not saying that the end of every negotiation is everyone is inviting everyone over for Christmas dinner, right? But I, I do like to hope that nine times out of 10, people go, I like dealing with intertalent. That's key. And I'm going to push a little bit harder on this, Alex, because I think I think that like, you know, PR agents, I suppose there's a reputation about the role of an agent and there's a reputation about the role of a PR. I mean, I'm a PR, you're a you're an agent, and we both feel that, you know, that's probably been uh, slightly unrealistic and ill-deserved. Yeah. But you know, talking about for example, how to give a new talent brand. So you sign some new talent, brand new talent. Nobody's really heard of them, certainly not in the broadcast sector. Let's say it's a presenting talent. Does every agent operate like package deals? For example, if you've got a really well-known big talent who's a household name, presumably when you've got that sort of incredibly valuable talent, you can help the careers of your young talent, you know, on the back of them saying, for example, yes, we'll do a new show with X broadcaster. This talent will do it, but you've also got to give some help to one of our new talent. Does that happen? It doesn't happen often. It can do. You have to be conscious that, that each individual talent isn't really that interested in who else you represent. Everyone wants to be making sure that their agent feels that they're the number one client. And that's obviously how we have to operate. And we're chameleons. So, you know, I have some clients that call every day i have some clients that don't call every day some whatsapp some email some and as an agent you have to be a chameleon we don't really put out you have to work like this so we're always conscious that we're as the middle person between a lot of people we have to make sure that everyone you know operates in the way they want to and for our talent first and foremost is making sure that they're looked after you know and and if you were to to muck up a deal because you were trying to slot someone else in and it ruins someone else's deal well they're not going to be your clients for much longer what it does do on the whole is it gives you those relationships so if you have top talent if you have talent that work at the highest level on the big channels it means you get to talk to people at the highest level it's it's that obvious and if you don't then it's it's more of a struggle i think that that's just the nature of human beings and and so we're fortunate that you know with people like Susanna Reid and Ross Kemp and those kinds of clients that we look after, we get to talk to people at the top table. And in doing so, I can then say, by the way, we now represent X, Y, and Z. You might not know them, but trust me, we've signed them for a reason. They're going all the way. We love them. And it's a way into other people. So you do piggyback on those relationships. And this whole industry is about relationships. And I think the key thing is, is an agent lives and dies by who they represent, right? Let's, you know, you Mm -hmm. can be and listen, some other agents might disagree with you right now. They might be shaking their heads listening to this. But you can be the best agent of all time. You can be the best deal maker of all time. But if you haven't got clients or the right clients, then what does it matter? And you know, I'm very aware that I get to have certain conversations in my day with certain very important people, not because they necessarily like me, I hope they do, or not because they think I'm a good agent, but because I have a piece of talent that they really want to talk to. And if I didn't have them, 
I probably wouldn't be having that conversation. So you do live and die as an agent by who you represent, which company you're at, and what doors you can open. And I think anyone, personally, I think anyone that, that says differently, you know, isn't being truthful about it. So we've got, there's some great agents in this country. I've got a lot of friends who are great agents. They're my competitors. I love them when we go for a drink and I hate them in my day-to-day business if they get a job over one of my clients. There's a lot of great people, but if you haven't got the right the right talent, then you know, it's a very unforgiving job and it's a very unforgiving industry. And one day you're talking to somebody and if that talent leaves you, that phone line might not always be ringing going forward. So looking after our talent, nurturing them, making sure they stay, making sure we sign good ones, good talent is is really important because that makes us good agents at the very beginning. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when you have drinks with other agents and what's discussed in those. um, uh... I would say I'm playfully competitive. I've got really good friends at other agencies, but I really want to win. And that's the end of it. You know, I'm very, I'm very ambitious. I'm very competitive. I love all my mates at at my competitors. I talk to them a lot, but you know, I want my clients to be in there. And if that means theirs aren't, then that's life. And I, I quite like, I quite enjoy the kind of little bit of drama about that. It's quite fun. Other people might not, mm. but I, I find it quite fun. You know, I always do it with a bit of a twinkle. And even if I'm saying something to one of them, we always do it with a smile on our face, hopefully. Let's talk about the the skill set of an agent mm. then, because you talked earlier on about you need to be a bit diplomatic. You might need to be a counsellor. You might need to be politician at times you might need to be you know that chameleon that you talked about but without naming your client can you give us an idea what is the most difficult situation you've ever had as an agent yeah to be honest the most the most difficult situation to be in is when there's a dispute and deep down you don't agree with your talent's viewpoint because you're their protector you have to back them you have to back them obviously it's your job to manage their expectations and and it is also your job to tell them when they're not being fair or they're not being realistic or they're in the wrong right you you can't just give them an open leash and just go yes do what you want I think if you feel that your talent hasn't conducted themselves properly you know it's also your responsibility to to have a bit of a serious and tough conversation without going into specific details of, of any particular people or incidents I think one of the hardest things is when you fundamentally don't agree with something they've said or, or their viewpoint or what they're thinking, because you do have to back them. In a way, it's a bit like a lawyer representing somebody they know to be guilty and they're trying to obviously get them off. I think that you have to have a lot of tact and a lot of calm. I think, I think the skill set of an agent has really transformed over the years. I mean, you have to be super creative. I think that's one of the things that creative people don't think agents are. You have to be creative. You have to know you know, what could be a good job to get you there? What isn't a good job? You have to know what looks good on on screen. You know, if you're going to go to set to watch something, have an opinion and try and assist and not just sit there in the corner and why you're there. So, you know, you have to be a creative. Um, you have to be a business person. You have to know how to make money. Obviously, an agent who doesn't know how to make money, that's not a good starting point. And you have to have uh, good people skills. You have to talk to a lot of people, lots of difficult people, lots of different people. And you have to be able to not only manage those, but also become friends with those. And you have to have a lot of tact and you have to be very social. It's a very sociable job to make those relationships. Yeah, are you out every night? I went to bed at 1am and midnight the night before. So I, I'm, I'm out two to three nights a week. I try and keep it at that. 
otherwise I will I'm not very good with not much sleep so and I am up about six-ish so but there's a lot of things I mean you know going back to what I said earlier just in like the moment sadly there is no university degree for being an agent I came at it through theatre producing other people have been actors or even presenters and people just come at it through you know the law industry or whatever it might be I think you can teach people how to be good agents but you can't teach the sensibilities. You can't teach tact and awareness. And those are things that have to be inbuilt, I think, on the whole. And I think that you have to be a bit of a maverick at times. And if you have that starting point, you can learn, right? You can learn contracts. You can learn what this means and what that means. But I think that um, an agent is a very, I find, quite a unique individual. And you have to be able to take flack and bad news and people thinking, you know, all sorts of things. So, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it, but I know it's not for everybody. It's twenty four seven. It's not nine. To, you know, if your client calls you at midnight, you know they shouldn't. But if they do, then they do. That that's that's kind of the life that we lead. So it's a great job for some, and I appreciate it's not a great job for others. And when you're taking on a new client, then do you set the parameters with a client? Then do you say, listen, don't call me on a night unless you really have to, or you or, have or to. you know, yeah, you, you, you have. It's not so much that I don't ever want to sort of parent them. I think it's about, I'm from a family of right. agents. All, most of my family are or have been agents. So it's kind of in my genes, uh, in music and in football and now, and now what I do. You learn these lessons. You know, when I first started as an assistant at ARG, so I, I started at Curtis Brown and then moved to ARG where I worked with some incredible top, top actors and incredible boss and then have been an intern for 10 years. But when I was at ARG as an assistant, there'd be some clients that would really want to talk to me for 40 minutes. And I just thought that's what you do. Like if the client calls for 40 minutes, you take their call for four, even if it's about nothing, even if they're just wallowing about something, how they feel that day. Or, But once you start doing that and start enabling them, then they'll just think that's what you can always do. So I think you have to, with, with new talent, you have to set boundaries straight away and not parent them, but hopefully they'll just realize and learn what's an acceptable way to behave and to talk to your agent and communicate with your agent and what's not. And the problem is, is when you give people <laughs> an open forum to call you at midnight for no reason, if, when there's a reason, not a problem, but for no reason or anything like that, then it's very hard to take it back. It's very hard to then say, actually, we're not going to do that anymore because they go, well, you offered that service previously. So I think that agents are human beings as well. People think that agents are a necessary evil in this industry. I completely disagree. I think we're necessary. And I think that we're as important and creative as anyone else in this in this process. But yeah, with a new talent, you really have to just guide them. Because also, it's not their fault. If, they, if they're not used to having an agent, they're not used to an agent-talent relationship, you know, they're not going to know. So I think you just have to guide them in a friendly way as opposed to being a mum or a dad. I try to avoid that kind of that kind of education because it's not very fun so looking at the overall landscape of the content industry because this is obviously the that's one of the key areas that intertalent focuses on yeah. is now a golden time to be a talent agent in the same way that it's a pretty good time to be a producer you know lots of different buyers lots of competitive offers in the marketplace a lot of the big streamers coming in and building big tentpole shows, lots of budget. I mean, is, is it a great time now? Is it is now the best time that's ever been before to be an agent, do you think? I think it's a great time. I think it is a golden time. You know, a lot of people ask me, oh, who do you think is winning? Is Netflix winning? Is the BBC winning? Is Paramount winning? 
people's views on what winning actually means is completely different. And if you talk to each channel, they all say that they're winning. So, you know, which I'm happy to hear, but, you know, the metrics on what constitutes as winning, you know, mine might differ from yours. But for me, it is. I mean, look, we're in not just in TV, across the whole entertainment industry, specifically in digital, you know, everything is decentralized now. There are so many areas to to look at so many avenues to move into you know we have to obviously know what our buyers want you know the the channels the networks the platforms you know we have to make sure we're pitching the right things to the right people and not not everyone is right for every channel but the fact is is there are more channels and networks and streamers and platforms etc than ever before the digital landscape has changed everything and so there's greater opportunity. You know, as an agent, when someone asks me, oh, are you concerned about, you know, Warner Brothers and Discovery merging? Are you concerned about what's happening at Netflix? I, the, the answer is I'm concerned if, if they go. I'm concerned if they don't have budgets anymore. That's a concern. You know, when I was at the RTS convention earlier this week listening to Tim Davey talk about how they're going to use the license fee going forward and where he's thinking of, of cutting back and moving forward, that concerns me because obviously – no budget means no shows, obviously. Um, but realistically, I'm not fussed on if someone says Netflix is doing better than Apple and Apple's doing better than Netflix. For me, all of these platforms allow for greater opportunity, greater ambition, and it allows more opportunity. And also now the, we don't need those gatekeepers only. We love them. We do need them. But you know, YouTube and, and Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else is allowing our clients to get to an audience and get to them in many different ways. And, and every single place has different, the finances might be different and the process might be different, but it is a golden time. I'm concerned about what's happening in this country. I'm concerned about, you know, a potential recession. I'm concerned about all of those things because ultimately, you know, if things go the way we hope they don't go, that will affect this whole entire industry. Companies will go, you know, ever since COVID started, companies can go bust. People can bring down what they're looking for. Talent might not get the opportunities, talent might not earn. But as of today, it's very exciting. You know, it's very exciting that I'm going to that RTS convention and not just seeing BBC and ITV and Channel 4, but I'm, I'm hearing from Paramount Plus, I'm hearing from Disney, I'm hearing from Warner Brothers Discovery, I'm hearing from all of these places, stars everywhere, and we work with all of them. So I couldn't be happier in terms of distribution and where we can go. The question is, is do we have the talent that the buyers want? Because if there is a platform that we don't have a single client that's right for, that's my concern. Mm. So I'm pleased to say that on the whole, we work with everyone. And long may it continue. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how the, the rest of this year and into 2023 goes and we continue to assess you know, looking towards the future as well, we we talked about, you know, very mixed ecosystem of the content industry now and and the creator economy really starting to motor. And you talked about NFTs you're involved in and, and esports. Saying in, in ten years time, if you were a betting man, where would you expect most of your clients' business to be coming from? The established players that we're talking about now, like the BBCs and the Paramounts and the Netflixes, or do you feel that intertalent might be a bit more focused within individual creators and representing them and building franchises for them? Viewing habits have changed considerably and continue to do so. I would like to hope that in 10 years' time, you know, linear is still linear. And But I, I listen, in terms of the digital landscape, it's only going one way. 
we are, but we have to put a huge focus into that. You know, it would be silly to avoid it, ignore it. You know, the digital economy, you know, social media and every other way that's emerging is the future. But I don't want to see a day where there's no linear TV. I don't want to see a day where there's no channel four or channel five. You know, I, you know I'm hoping that in 10 years time that we continue to have many options and many opportunities for people. And they're all equally important. You know, I was at a thing yesterday where somebody said their talent doesn't need TV. I don't necessarily know if that is true. Yes, if they're making a huge amount of money on YouTube, then yes, they don't need TV. But TV is, a, is still the fastest way to get to the most widespread audience. It might not be as big an audience or, more, or as concentrated an audience as your platform. Ad spend on TV is still extremely high. So I would like to hope that in 10 years' time, we are still in a world of opportunity and different options but you know it would be silly to say that the digital landscape might be obviously 10 years on from now who knows it's gonna it's gonna be incredible but for an agent that i'm that's amazing that means even more opportunity and now it's time for story of the week where my guests get to nominate the tv industry story that's caught their eye in the past seven days alex what's your story of the week oh i think there's only one story of the week which is the Holly and Phil story, I think, has continued to uh, to be there and hasn't quite died down as yet. So um, that is probably yeah. still the story of the week at the moment, sadly. For our listeners outside the UK, this is the Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby story. They're uh, daytime TV hosts on an ITV show that were seen to jump the queue at the Queen's lying in state and been rolling on and on. Huge backlash when a quarter of a million people stood for up to 14 hours and queued up a- along the Thames to walk past the Queen lying in state. Then Holly and Phil were seen to kind of jump the queue and use their media passes to jump the queue. And whereas we've got the juxtaposition of David Beckham, who stood with everybody else and now seems a bit more of a man of the people. And so this is this is rumbling on. There's a there's a, a, a move to try and get ITV to drop Holly and Phil. And uh, what's what's the latest then, Alex, on this? What's well, the, what's the latest development in this story? I, I think it's at a point now where I'm hoping it will start to die down. I think I'm of the opinion that it's really a mountain out of a molehill and I feel that they've been unfairly targeted. And just to just cards on the table, I don't represent either of them and never have done. But obviously respect what they do. I think we're very quick in this country to jump on a bandwagon. And I would like to hope that this situation wasn't caused by either of them. I, I, I think that if I was to guess, and I could be completely wrong, I don't know anything of the situation, but if I was to guess, I would say that they were put in into that moment. So I would assume that somebody would have come to them from the show and said, guess what, guys, we've got access to the room. We can get in on this date at this time. How about we just do a little a little thing? We'll keep it low key and you know i think you two should do it rather than our usual roving reporters because of the you know how important this is so let's do it on this day and i suspect phil and holly went okay and i think that to sort of lay it at their feet and say they shouldn't have done that unless they specifically said i want to go and i want to jump the queue which i would like to think they didn't i think it's disappointing and really destabilizing for everyone i think that at the end of the day holly and phil aren't going to dig out itv because they're their employers and they've been very good to them and i suspect that itv aren't going to dig out holly and phil because they probably 
asked them to go. So I think that it's very hard for anyone to say anything. I think Twitter especially is a very unforgiving place at a moment like this. And I, you know, I worry that, you know, how quickly we jump on people. And, and I suspect that, um, I hope it dies down because I, I just think that it's a bit, I think it's a bit unnecessary. Well, uh, ITV CEO Carolyn McCall has defended them defending Holly Willoughby and Phil Schofield. And so she came out to back them to the hilt, essentially. Being caught up as an agent, being caught up as either Holly or Phil's agent in that situation, I mean, that's a pretty high-pressure scenario. How would you deal with that? How, If it was you as being the agent of Holly or Phil in that situation? You have to own the story. And I think that you have to, I think if you don't, it can go and, and listen. We all of our clients have great publicists that we work with, and ultimately, I get you know they're the ones that come into play here, and that's obviously fantastic because that's what they do best. I think you have to own the story. If you don't, if you don't do that, it can run and run like wildfire. I think it's best to try and get ahead of it, but in a calm way. I think if you if you're as frantic and flappable as as what everyone else is externally, you're going to say something or do something that's only going to you know, add fuel to the flame. So I think as an agent, when this does happen and, and it has happened uh, and will continue to happen where something like this happens and we've had it with some of our clients, you have to just try not to make a decision in the moment of madness because, you know, calm will come and I think you can make the better decision not in the eye of the storm. I think it is important to sort of just get a strategy quickly with the team and also try to get ahead of the story and try and limit it i've had it's happened with a number of my clients and they're not the days you want especially on a weekend you're talking about owning the narrative really aren't 100%. you rather than because it, it seems to me that holly and phil have kind of been kicked around a little bit in the press and there was a there was a statement that was put out i don't know who whether it was itv put the statement out but there was a statement put out which seemed to fan the flames and it really didn't it seemed to make the, the situation a little bit worse yeah so you you would have got out in front of this a little bit earlier if you were representing either Phil or Holly there? I think, you know, they did the right things, to be honest, actually. I, I don't, I think this particular situation is, is bigger than, than most. I, this, this kind of level is actually quite rare. I'm hoping next week it won't be story of the week because even if you don't represent the talent, what happens with other talent could happen to your talent, you know, and they're represented, I'm, you know, at least I know Phil's represented by a competitor of ours. You know, I don't want to say, I don't like seeing that happen because, it could be us next week and how that happens can affect how, how we handle it, how it affects how they handle it next time. So I think that um, as an industry, I think we have to rally around each other a bit more and, and protect each other a bit because it's a very open industry. I mean, you know, all of my friends work in the city and other things, you know, their industry and jobs and day to day isn't scrutinized like our clients are. Like every show we make is, you know, we work our, our butts off on these shows and then Twitter just rips it apart. You know, it's a very exposing <laughs> job to be in not just as talent so i think that um we have to rally around each other a lot more than we probably do and i hope that it does die down if that isn't the case and there's a change in presenters on the show then it's a huge opportunity for you and every other agency out there and every other major talent as well yeah, for so sure. I'm just, you can't lie about that of course it is and and if that happens i'll be the first person on the phone to whoever i should be speaking to about about that role but i think it's about intention, right? I'm hoping it dies down. If the opportunity arises, that's not because me or anyone here has, has created that. And if there's an opportunity, 
we have to do best by our client, whoever that might be right for it, and try and get it. But listen, as I say, Justin, it can happen the other way around. I might have a client who loses their job next week. And I would fully expect that my competitors, friends or otherwise, will be jumping on that to get their client in. You know, I think that it is a bit dog eat dog. And I, I don't think anyone shies away from that. And I think you have to embrace it. And anyone that doesn't want to embrace that aspect of agency life and all of that kind of thing, you know, I think it'll be, it's a very difficult job to be in. You have to jump on an opportunity no matter how they come. My only feeling is on this particular situation is that, is that it, it doesn't come to like, like that. You know, one day they will leave and hopefully it'll be on their own terms. And that's great. If an opportunity arises beforehand, I won't lie. I'm going to try and take it. Of course I will. I think it's about intention. And it's about, you know, dignity as well. Well, let's see. Let's see how that situation develops. But it's, uh, it continues to rumble on. So let's see yeah. how it develops next week. And now it's time of the show for Hero of the Week and Get in the Bin. Who's your Hero of the Week, Alex? My Hero of the Week is one of my heroes every week. This is nothing to do with work, nothing to do with who I manage. I was trying to think about that, but I thought, you know what? I can't pick. I can't pick. I, I have to, you know. But my Hero of the Week is my favorite singer of all time, which is Bruce Springsteen. I'm a big Bruce Springsteen obsessive fan. And he's just announced yesterday a brand new album, his 21st studio album. And he released a single yesterday out of the blue. And for a man who's 73, I don't know how much longer I'm going to get Bruce doing what Bruce does. He's the boss for a reason. And I don't know how much longer he's going to want to do it at 73. He's going on a world tour. So anytime I get a pop-up, as part of the Bruce Springsteen fan club that says new song out today, it is a very good day, Justin, for me. I tell you, I have already played this song about 15 times. So my hero of the week is Bruce at 73, still rocking, still releasing music. I'm seeing him more than once on tour next year. My bank account's not thanking me for that. But <laughs> All right. Well, you know, he's got to get a big payday though, hasn't he? His agent's got to push those ticket prices up, make sure that maybe his... Uh, it might be his last two. This is a whole different topic, but they've had a lot of flack for this dynamic pricing that Live Nation and Ticketmaster are now doing where mm. prices of tickets fluctuate depending on demand. A bit like Uber, you know, when there's a quiet period, Uber is mm. cheap and when it's busy, it's more expensive. So there's been yeah. a lot of flack directed his way in particular for this dynamic pricing. But uh, yeah, his agent definitely has to make his commission on this one. And who or what are you telling to get in the bin, Alex? I'll tell you what I'm telling to get in the bin unrealistic storylines in dramas that are trying to be realistic. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I've watched, I'm not going to name names, but I've watched three dramas in the past week on major channels that I love the actors. The acting is phenomenal. The writing's phenomenal, but the storylines are so ridiculous. It's different if it's a fantasy. It's different if it's openly trying to be something other. But, oh my God, the amount of dramas whether it's hostage or legal or prison or whatever, where the storylines are so unrealistic. I'm just sort of going like, I just can't, if I want something that's completely unrealistic, I know where to go and watch that. But for me, I just watched three in a row in the last week or so of dramas where the storylines are so outrageous, but pretending to be totally probable that I'm just a bit like, I don't know. I watch every minute of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm still there tuning in because the, the, the talent on show is incredible. But getting in the bin are dramas that ha are, are now going to lengths that are so baffling. I can't even follow the storyline because they make yeah. no sense. 
I would name names if I could, but I probably shouldn't. So, um, But you might have all seen them yourselves in the last week or so. All right. Well, if you want unrealistic storylines these days, just watch the news, right? I mean, this is... Uh, I'll the, just watch Married the, at First Sight. That's what I'll do instead. But, uh, <laughs> I'll, watch, I'll watch the news for sure. To be yeah. fair, yeah. But some of these, uh, some of these dramas, 9pm dramas, they're brilliant. But, I mean, we're going to Lent now, a fabrication that I, I'm just a bit... Like, we need to come back to, like, realism. All right. Unrealistic drama storylines yes. are in the bin. In the bin. All right. Alex, fantastic to chat to you. Really Thank interesting you. to hear about the life as an agent. i hopefully see you for a beer at some point very soon, and we can... Uh, definitely. And you can give me some off-the-record stuff as well, maybe. Never know. Yeah, I was being a politician there, but I'll definitely... Uh, the pub is the better place to uh, tell the real stories, yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. Cheers, Justin. Thanks. Well, that's about it for this week's Telecast. Telecast was edited by Ian Chambers and recorded in London. Next week, we have a MIPCOM and MIP Junior preview show as we look ahead to a busy week on the Quasette. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>